Welcome to Home Dance Film Festival, the podcast that brings a little bit of the Sundance Film Festival to you. We discuss two movies that played at Sundance, along with one non-Sundance film, plus a few other fun things thrown in along the way. Today we will be discussing Another Earth, Rudderless, and Wolfwalkers. My name is Jessica. And I'm Dylan. Before we get into our main discussion, we wanted to take a moment to discuss the 2021 Academy Awards, which aired last night as of this recording. So Jessica, (laughs) what did you think of this year's Oscars? Um, The ceremony itself was very strange and kind of frantic. It had some chaotic energy, but that was to be expected because we're in the middle of a pandemic. So they did what they could under under the circumstances, and there were some things that could have been handled better. Let's frame it this way. Steven Soderbergh directed the show. What worked for you this year? I like how they were talking to each other personally more. Yeah. Whenever they would do presenting, Mm -hmm. presenting the award. So I liked that, but like I told you while we were sitting there (laughs) watching it, I did not like that room. It was very small and it made me extremely uncomfortable. I didn't like how there were so many steps everywhere and then maneuvering and then the stage was very small. It made me very uncomfortable. (laughs) From just the pandemic aspect or just from... No, not even that. Okay. Just because I know that they've been tested like crazy and pretty much all of them are probably vaccinated. It's really hard to explain. It just, it was deeply disturbing. (laughs) This is how it used to be back whenever the Oscars first started. Just a small room of people, not televised. But they probably didn't have all those steps to get down and everything, up and down. I mean, probably not. That's one big thing. You didn't didn't. like the height of it? No, I didn't like that at all. And especially getting on the stage, it didn't seem like there was a clear way, and they had to step over a bunch of stuff to get onto that tiny stage. Yeah. It was too much for me. It was giving you nervous sweats? Yeah, I didn't like it. (laughs) What else did you not like? I didn't like how they didn't let people Zoom who wanted to Zoom. Yeah. (laughs) All I gotta do is Zoom, Zoom, Zoom. I think the only person that... Anthony? Yeah, but even him, I think he was he was good. They also didn't let Anne Roth, I think. Oh, really? Yeah, I think that was the same case. Okay. Because they both didn't want to travel to the hubs that they had, which is understandable because they're older and it's a pandemic, but <laughs> they should have let them Zoom. Yeah, they were good. Personally, for the first half of the Oscars, I was really into it, and I, thought, I was like, okay, they're doing a good job. Until I realized something that was missing, I missed the clip. Yeah, the movie. that's another thing I missed. Because we've seen all of the movies, but one of the main reasons for the Oscars is to convince certain people that these movies deserve your attention if you haven't seen them. Yeah. And just having other actors kind of semi-discuss these nominees and not having any context for what they're discussing, it won't really convince anyone yeah. to... I did miss the clips, and the clips that they chose for Promising Young Woman was very not good. Yeah. <laughs> The coffee spit scene isn't gonna yeah, that's convince good. anyone to watch it. <laughs> yeah. So I missed the clips, but other than that, I liked how Soderbergh tried to make it look like a movie. Whenever Regina King was walking in at the beginning, I kind of felt like I was watching an Ocean's movie, which yeah. is cool. It quickly ran off the rails yeah. because of. <laughs> You know where I think it ran off the rails for me? Where? So Regina's walking in and she has like this epic entrance and Mm -hmm. it looks super cool. And then she gets in there and she goes on the stage and then she kind of stumbles. And I was like, oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) The stage is a death trap. Yeah. And that's where I was like, this isn't going to be good. So it lost you. 45 seconds into the show. Yeah, because I was I was so afraid for everyone. They're fine. All those heels. We got to talk a little bit about the ordering of the awards. Yeah. Because whenever they announced that they were doing Best Director and Best Picture, seemingly halfway through the show, I was like, what is going on? Yeah, that threw me off a lot. Yeah. I know you had thoughts on what it kind of represented for Chloe and yeah. her wins. It seemed like it kind of stepped over her moment it kind of overshadowed this historic moment because she's the second woman to win and she's a woman of color and also emerald winning screenplay that's the first woman in 13 years so it seemed like she didn't really get to revel in it i guess and they were just like that's nice because they seem so focused on building it up to chadwick's moment yeah and then it didn't come yeah they just tried to order everything and then it didn't work it pushed some people out and everything so yeah it was a very big misstep trying to build up 
up to something. Even if it would have went off perfectly, I don't think it would have necessarily made the show. No one would have looked back and been like, that was perfect. No. Because everyone's used to Best Picture being final for a reason. Mm -hmm. It's a culmination of everything. If Chadwick had had his moment, like a category before Best Picture or something, if they wanted to do that, that would have been fine. But it's just a whole wet fart of an ending. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think that they should have taken that gamble. No. Despite the lackluster aspects, there were some good moments. Mm -hmm. I really appreciated Daniel Kaluuya's speech. (laughs) That was funny. (laughs) Because it had a lot of moments that brought about gift-worthy moments from his mother. (laughs) Yeah. And just his off-the-cuff nature. Just whenever he speaks, he's so entrancing. I love it. He gets really into it, and he's very passionate. That's what I like about hearing him talk. Which, I mentioned his interview with Mark Maron on WTF. Lots. That whole interview, too, he's very passionate. You can tell how super into it he is. Yeah, it's like he's giving a mini-sermon for people. Yeah. It was fun. I enjoyed it. Yeah, and then he caps it off with his parents had sex. Yeah. (laughs) Just thanking them. (laughs) And then his mom was like, what? What are you doing? (laughs) Boom, I'm out. His sister's just like, Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, his speech was tied with Union Jones for me because... I like the way that she both had a heartfelt moment of saying basically we're all special in different mm-hmm. ways and the fact that we're competing is <laughs> ridiculous because we're all equal yeah. in different ways. We're, we're doing different stuff. But then she was like, I'm just luckier than everyone else. I'm yeah. luckier than you. And how she's like, you all mispronounced my name, but I forgive you all. <laughs> and then where she's talking about her sons because mommy had to go to work and work for you. And this is what, what it gets whenever mommy works hard. Because she said her son made her go work. Yeah. <laughs> so she, he made me go, so... Are you happy now? Now I have an Oscar. <laughs> Can mommy rest? <laughs> One of the best parts of the evening for me was actually probably some of the stuff that happened before the show. <laughs> Namely, the pitch-perfect performance of Husavik <laughs> yeah. by this Icelandic children's choir mm. and this talented artist. I don't know her name, but she mm. sang Husavik. And just seeing Iceland and how much better it is than the United States. Yeah, how beautiful it is. Just seeing the beautiful boats and mountains. Even having like the northern lights, though, I don't know if that was really them or if they put them in there because as we both know, we've seen them in person and you have to have a special exposure to capture those kinds of colors. So I don't know if those were the actual lights, but either way, it looked beautiful. Maybe (laughs) they're different because we saw them in Canada. So maybe they're different. (laughs) They're not different. Maybe the lens. Same rules apply everywhere. lens that they were using captured it perfectly. I don't see that happening. Do not ruin this moment. <laughs> In the pre-show, I really like Chloe Zhao and Lil Rel getting caught <laughs> unaware that they were on television. Yeah. M- more so Lil Rel yeah. and Chloe just trying to casually say, hey, we're, yeah. we're on. With her mic points at the camera like, hey, the camera. <laughs> and he's like, oh. <laughs> so did you have any other big moments from the show that you wanted to highlight that you enjoyed? Mostly just I'm pleased for all of the women winning (laughs) in categories that it shouldn't be so groundbreaking, but it is. So I'm pleased that it happened and that we have more women winning. And also I'm pleased that it was pretty diverse, like all of the nominees and everything. First, I think all black makeup team. Mm -hmm. So that was cool. I would have preferred Chadwick to win just because it would have been a nice moment and he did put in a great performance. Mm -hmm. Anthony Hopkins was great. And I know you said that so far you haven't seen any hatred thrown his way. But. Yeah, but I think I'm starting to see it because people on Twitter are now starting to please, please stop being mean to him. It's not uh, his fault. That's what I was afraid of. That's why I didn't want him to win, yeah. even though he was fantastic in the movie. I'm glad my, my internet boyfriend, Riz Ahmed, didn't win now. <laughs> <laughs> he was looking so handsome last night. Yeah. I loved when, him. Whenever he fixed his wife's hair, that was sweet. I also like Glenn Close's debut yeah. moment. I don't know if that was staged or if she did it, but either way, it was still fun. If it was staged, I'm totally cool. And the fact that it was preceded by <laughs> Andre Day just was awesome. cursing up a storm for that basically about right. ca- calling out the Oscars for, <laughs> for being whack. Yeah. 
And she's like, this was a good song, so they probably didn't record it. <laughs> Some shit like that. I appreciated all of the Sound of Metal wins. I mean, we knew it was going to win sound. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure about editing, but when it did win editing, I was super stoked. That made me a little uncomfortable whenever Riz popped up and he was, okay, uh, I'm going to present for sound. And I was like, you're going to present it to your her. own movie. Yeah. I was like, that's odd. Why did they do that? Yeah. But everyone always complains about the Oscar ceremony. I don't think there's ever been one where people are like, that was the most beautiful ceremony. I've ever seen and it was wonderful. Yeah. And in the moment I was enjoying it, but then reflecting upon it, I was just thinking, oh, this was mostly made for me and it's very inaccessible to anyone else. And then <laughs> just the category rearrangement was whack. Yeah. Because it was very uncomfortable. And it just made everyone mad. It made an already kind of awkward situation just worse because that's what the show ended on. I would have preferred Francis McDormand not to win. Same. If Carrie Mulligan wasn't going to win, I was hoping it'd be Viola Davis. She was great in Nomadland. That's not in my top five or ten favorite of the year, but she was very good in it, and I don't begrudge her her win. The Emerald win was one of my favorite moments Mm -hmm. of the night, and apparently the one thing that we've learned, you shouldn't wear gold if you (laughs) want to win an award because all the people who wore gold, Carrie and Leslie Odom Jr., did not pan out for them. It panned out for Meryl Streep one time. (laughs) (laughs) But you see what happens, Leslie? Her wins it, okay? (laughs) Her wins original song. Good for her. (laughs) just to dig on the ceremony a little bit more. The in memoriam was freaking weird. That's right. That's right. I forgot about that. There were places where, as I was watching, I was like, whoa, they are going through some of these names super fast. And it was like a up-tempo song. Yeah. Not to say that any one person is more important than the other, but some of the people they sped through were super important people. (laughs) Why are they speeding through this? These are the Oscars. Everyone knows they run long. If you need to make it two minutes longer to accommodate all these, just do it. Don't don't speed through people. Yeah, or loop the song. Yeah. It's fine. And then, of course, they always leave people off. I saw Rachel Bloom tweet today that Adam Schlesinger yeah. had, was let off. I saw that. And he had written the That Thing You Do song. And so that was unfortunate. Soderbergh, he was wild. He was wilding <laughs> last night. Well, we had fun catching up on all of the titles. And it's the first year we've watched all of the films before the ceremony. With that being said, Jessica, shall we Sundance? Sure. Another Earth premiered at Sundance in 2011. It received the Special Jury Prize and Alfred P. Sloan Feature Film Prize. It was written by Britt Marling and Mike Cahill, and it was directed by Mike Cahill. It stars Britt Marling, William Maypother, Matthew Lee Erlock. On the night of the discovery of a duplicate Earth in the solar system, an ambitious young student, Rhoda, and an accomplished composer, John, cross paths in a tragic accident. Rhoda soon finds herself drawn to John and follows him home. She poses as a cleaning lady, and over the course of the next few months, During the time cleaning for him, they begin to form a bond while picking up the pieces of each other's broken hearts. Oh, but do I love some good Brit Marling writing. And this is one of her first bigger projects, including The Sound of My Voice. And I, as well as I know you do, love the OA. And this movie, I can see a lot of just the same aspects that she uses in the OA with Another Earth. So that was cool because it has kind of the same feel. She has a really specific style and I really like it. Yeah, the OA is probably top five TV shows in the last decade. Of all decade, time. Decade. All time. <laughs> Of all time. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Uh, it's pretty perfect for me. I freaking love it. And the fact that it didn't last beyond two seasons is a travesty. I still have hope for a movie, though. Yeah. I can see where this kind of led to the OA. I did not like this near as much as the OA, though. Yeah, same. Honestly, it kind of disappointed me based on what I had built up in my mind. Mm-hmm. The concept of dual Earths and what I thought could be done with that concept. It mattered, but it didn't really matter in the end. Yeah, it's more... Uh, of like a symbol
symbolism type thing. And whenever you look at this, you're like, oh, cool, this is going to be this dope sci-fi movie. But it's not heavy on sci-fi. Correct. How I view the movie is that more so people looking for possible second chances and redemption. Yeah, it's like a... Possibilities. Rebirth kind of thing. Yeah. There are some things that I would want to say, but I don't want to get into too many spoilers. Yeah, we won't reveal the end or a lot of bigger revelations. Yeah, I didn't know if I didn't mention anything up top. I mean, the tragic accident, but... I think you should, because it's the whole thing. Okay, so that's okay to mention. Yeah. Okay, well, whenever she gets into this car accident, it's her fault, basically, because she's not paying attention. And it's the night that another Earth is discovered, and people can see it in the sky. And that's the moment that kind of sets off a chain of events. So it's also the moment that people on Earth noticed the other Earth, and the other Earth probably noticed our Earth. And so that kind of splits off, and from that moment on, they mirror each other. I also thought that there was kind of the similarities with other stories and movies where a comet passes over and strange things happen or things are different Mm -hmm. so it has kind of that feel to it that idea yeah like coherence that Mm -hmm. we watched last year yeah I can understand that and I like the idea that the places that it could have went the movie didn't seem interested in going there it used that concept as background noise but it didn't really want to engage with it enough for my personal taste yeah and it drove the plot along in that after she gets out of prison for manslaughter. Mm -hmm. She wants a fresh start and there's a background of her wanting to win a contest to be the first person to visit this other Earth. Along with other people. Yeah. Win a seat on the ship. On the first shuttle out. So there's that but it's mostly about her inadvertently getting in with this guy because she wants to apologize but she loses her nerve and then becomes his housekeeper. Yeah. (laughs) She just kind of lies and is just like, I'll give you a free trial to clean your house. Yeah. So... I understand why the story happened. It's supposed to make you uncomfortable, but it did. It made me very uncomfortable. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I felt uncomfortable about her trying to just be there and not just get it over with. And it seems like in movies and stories, people always have this fascination with following around the victim of whatever they cause and trying to insert themselves into their lives. And I don't think that they want that. No, the act of redemption or cleansing one's conscience is mostly for the person who conscience it is. Yeah. won't do much for the person they're trying to get forgiveness from. Yeah, they just want redemption for themselves. It's weird because whenever I was watching, I wasn't sure about it for a few minutes, but then I liked it better as it went along. I like this movie, but as you said, it's definitely, it's nowhere near the OA. And I even like sound of my voice better, yeah. but... Hard agree. Yeah. yeah. But this one, I like the story and it's very interesting, but it does make me feel very uncomfortable because she seems to be kind of using him in a way. Mm-hmm. But then as it goes along they're leaning on each other and they're kind of healing the broken parts of each other. The thing I didn't really click with is the dynamic they tried to set up with these two never seemed genuine to me. Yeah. Mostly probably because of her age. Yeah. Because she was 17 whenever the accident happened. I remember doing mental math as we were watching. And she was 21 (laughs) whenever she got out of prison. Yeah. So he kept saying that she was young and had her whole life ahead of her. Yeah. It just didn't ring true to me. Yeah. He seemed very, very broken, which he was. He was deep and mourning. And so he didn't really seem capable for that kind of relationship at that point. So he seemed like he was grabbing out and latching on to whatever could so that she was there. Yeah. And I just didn't get her motivation as far as what she really wanted to gain from it because she knew it couldn't lead to anything permanent. She knew it was always going to end with something bad bad because (laughs) the truth was going to come out. And no matter how much they may care for each other, the fact that she killed his family is going to be an obstacle they can never overcome. Yeah, it's like a, a sitcom in that way where just misunderstandings and then you're like, just tell them, just tell them, do it. And they're like, I don't know, maybe I can just kind of prolong this. Yeah, but she shouldn't even gotten in that situation because it's exactly. so messed up. That's just like sitcom stuff where it's kooky and you're like, why are you doing this? Yeah, so just the whole concept. I couldn't get invested because I was so irritated with the characters and their choices and I couldn't believe their dynamic. I didn't hate 
this movie. It just, parts of it was just very weird. She does weird better on her other projects. The OA is one of the weirdest shows I've ever seen. Yeah, that's what I was saying, like how it has the feel and those elements because it's very strange and how she talks and how she moves even and relates to people. It's very strange and that's how it is in the OA. It's very mysterious and you're like, what is going on? But it's way better. What we got in the movie, if that had been the first 30 minutes and then what the final shot of the movie, if it was from there, that was the rest of the movie and that was what the actual story was, I would have been much more interested. Right when it picked up steam for me, the credits end. Yeah, but that is also very Brit. Yeah. The same thing happens with Sound of My Voice. True, but I think it worked a lot better It does, it does. It felt more complete to me. To be fair, the OA, that wasn't her fault. That was just Netflix being jerks and canceling it. I have no problem with how the (laughs) OA ended. It feels like we should be reviewing that more than... It's okay, go watch it. It is. whenever the scene happened before the credits because I kind of knew it was coming Mm -hmm. and you can feel it, it's building up and then it happens and you're like, oh shit. And then it ends and you're like, damn, this is dope. I want to see this. And you know she's never going to do another Earth too. No, no. But I expected the other Earth to be a bigger part yeah. of another Earth. Yeah. <laughs> rather than just a tragic <laughs> drama with occasional shots of another Earth in the sky. It's a very uncomfortable and heartbreaking drama. I agree. I wanted a little bit more sci-fi because I love me some good sci-fi. Yeah. <laughs> sci-fi drama. And she does it so well. She so does. So that's frustrating. <laughs> it's been... It's uh, Ben. Hey, it's Ben. <laughs> It was a letdown compared to what I wanted it to be. It also looks pretty low budget. You can tell that it is. You got some shaky cam and then it looks like sometimes like the office spy shot. All they had to do was mirror another earth into the sky. I'm sure it wasn't that. Yeah. It was cost efficient, I'm sure. Yeah. I guess that's why they didn't have all the big space flight and everything because they didn't have the money. There were more interesting moments such as when she tried to punish herself by stripping naked and laying in the snow and trying to essentially kill herself. Mm, that's very Brit. Yeah. <laughs> that's so Brit. <laughs> <laughs> Typical Brit. <laughs> I was more interested in some of those subplots more so than anything that was going on with John. I didn't hate the character of John. I felt bad for him. I liked when he played the saw for her. That's what I was about to say. That that part was really nice because I've seen people play the saw as an instrument before, but he made it very eerie, but also beautiful. I enjoyed that scene a lot. Brit, acting wise, she was great. Yeah. And William May Pother, he was also very good. I just didn't buy their dynamic together and that kind of ruined the movie for me. Yeah, it was very strange, but I think it was strange just because they always had this thing between them. She knew, but he didn't and then can't really give themselves over to each other because they're both very broken as people. That wasn't what I wanted from this story upon this initial viewing. It might get better. As you mentioned earlier, just people wanting to atone for their sins basically in, in movies. It just kind of bothers me. Yeah. It's always very frustrating because you're just like, why are you doing this? This isn't what normal people do. If I fuck someone over, I try to stay far away from them. Yeah. (laughs) Give them their space. But then you wouldn't have a movie or a show, so that's what they got to do. Well, you know what? I don't have a movie or show, and I'm doing (laughs) just fine. Oh, I get mine, okay? Uh, Don't worry, Jessica. (laughs) I get mine. (laughs) Oh, good for you. And how was it? So Jessica, have you come up with a rating system for this one? I'm going to go with Mirror Earths. Straightforward. I did have the idea of music saws, but (laughs) I'm just going to go with Mirror Earths. Okay. So as I said before, I enjoyed this movie, but it's not her strongest work. So I'm going to give it three Mirror Earths out of five. That's a solid rating. I know Brit can do better in my mind. I did appreciate several elements of the movie, technically, and her performance, but it wasn't really worth for me, but I'll still give it a two mirror earths out of five. Understandable. (laughs) Yeah. If anyone would like to see what they think about the movie, the movie is currently available digitally and on Blu-ray. I saved this for you. Music was always you guys' thing. Knock, knock. Hello. That song was awesome. There have to be others. Someone ought to play them. We could play them. You're my sidekick. You're my alibi. You're my right hand man. Could I make you understand? I don't know. Think you guys could put together enough songs to play a full set? 
Rudderless is the feature directorial debut of actor William H. Macy, and it stars Billy Crudup, Anton Yelchin, Felicity Huffman, Selena Gomez, and Lawrence Fishburne. The film premiered in the premiere section of the 2014 Sundance Film Festival. Following a tragedy, a grieving father in a downward spiral stumbles across a box of his recently deceased son's demo tapes and lyrics. Shocked by the discovery of this unknown talent, he decides to perform these songs at an open mic as a form of catharsis. When a young member of the audience flips over the songs, he convinces the reluctant father to form a band which sets the pair on a path of happiness and heartbreak. As with Another Earth, this is a movie where people make decisions that I just don't understand. It's not quite as detrimental to me. This one's more understandable. Yeah. So the film has Billy Crudup, who plays Sam, who loses his son in a school shooting. And the tone that this movie takes is interesting. Sometimes I felt it worked and sometimes I felt it was a bit too much. It's hard to explain. I felt as it went along, it got better for me. So I thought it pretty much worked. And then this movie threw me a lot of surprises that I surprisingly didn't see coming, which usually I'm pretty good at seeing things coming, but it's in a good way. My main issue with the film without spoiling it is the film wants the audience to believe that people in this universe would respond a certain way. But after what happens, I do not think there's any way that these people would react that way and it really threw me off. Are you talking about um, Lawrence Fishburne's character? No, I'm talking about people in the audience after a song is played. In the in the movie universe? Yeah. It's hard to get into. Okay, okay, never mind. We don't have to do that, okay. but I know what you're talking about. I forgot for a second, but I know what you're talking about. I liked Billy Crudup's unconventional relationship with Quentin, played by Anton Yelchin, mm-hmm. just because they're both such strong actors and they were both in a position kind of like Another Earth where they're both kind of broken mm-hmm. and they need to help each other. Since they weren't directly intertwined in each other's tragedy, it wasn't as big of a stretch to think these two would lean on one another. Yeah, They frustrate me in other ways by hiding <laughs> certain facets of their life. This is apparently going to be the podcast that I mentioned Mark Maron a lot, but okay. <laughs> on uh, WTF with Mark Maron, he interviewed Billy Crudup and actually everyone has been saying his name wrong and it's the one that people don't say so it's either Crudup or Crudup I can't remember which one but he said it's a different one because Mark was like see I didn't know and so he tried to say it and it's the one that sounds more wrong (laughs) Crudup yeah I think that might be okay So, just a fun fact for everyone. If you want to go listen to that episode, you should. It's great. Okay. <laughs> it's very interesting. He's an interesting guy. I mean, I'm talking about Billy. Mark is also very interesting. <laughs> I was going to say that I'm a sucker for a lot of different kinds of movies, but this is one of the kinds of movies that I'm a sucker for because any kind of movie that involves music, whether it be biopics or mm-hmm. just that it's integral to the story like this, it really, really gets me. Just because I know it's pretty much the same for you, but music has been such a huge, huge important part of my life. And I don't know who I would be without all the music that I've had in my life, like the Beatles and Beyonce. I don't know who I'd be. And movies like this really showcasing how important it is to humanity, how it connects people and gets their feelings out. And Music is healing. Yeah. It really gets me. So that part of the movie is getting me there. (laughs) Yeah. The movie kind of felt almost kind of similar to something like that thing you do where there's a band on the rise It's just at a local coffee shop. Yeah, for me, it had a big feel of a movie that we'll probably talk about, which is Hearts Beat Loud. And that's more like music between like a father and a daughter, their relationship and how they express themselves and how they grow closer and understanding one another. So it has that same kind of concept, which I really love because I love music so much. Pretty much all the arts I am in love with, but music especially has been my number one love (laughs) for pretty much my entire life. It's used quite effectively in this movie and the way it allows... Sam to help Quentin even outside of the band and Mm -hmm. how he helps him because Quentin has not always had the easiest life either. Yeah. So mostly I like how it helps Sam not use Quentin as a replacement for his son, but kind of tap into his paternal instincts that he used to have and allow Quentin to gain more confidence in himself. His son's songs that he's doing, a lot of them are really good, (laughs) but I like that he's connecting with his son through his music 
music, which he didn't have time to do before. So he's connecting with them in a way that he never did before. And you can tell that it pains him and it kills him on the inside. It's bittersweet. Yeah. And since we've opened up the floodgates about the Beatles and everything, it reminds me of whenever I heard Sean Lennon talk about after John died, Sean would go and play a certain piano of John's Mm -hmm. and he would play for hours and hours because he felt really close to John while he played and it connected him. So it made me think about that, how he was learning his son's songs and playing his guitar and singing and really getting into his headspace. I think it's done really well here, but also the way that the story makes Sam self-destruct is a concept that I have, I struggle with just because... (laughs) Oh yeah, I forgot your thing. (laughs) I'm a person who... (laughs) I was wondering why I kind of like this movie a bit more and can handle it. (laughs) Just to clarify, I'm a very boring person and I just want to watch movies where everyone is happy and there's no conflict. (laughs) That's right. I can't believe I didn't see this. So whenever I see Sam's fall from grace and turn to alcoholism, I'm just... You're like, baby, what is you doing? Stop it. Don't be so sad. It'll be okay. Yeah, you don't like people destroying their lives with drugs and alcohol. Yeah, it bothers me. I can handle these stories a bit more. Yes, I was very frustrated watching him self-destruct, but I also handle it better and I don't mind it as much as you do. So I like this movie, I think, a lot more than you. Probably. I don't mind so much that Sam... Sam had the initial fall from grace because he lost his son and that's a big tragedy. Yeah. But then I don't think it would be a spoiler to say things don't go completely smoothly on his journey to minor stardom and of course he's going to have setbacks because of memories of his son and the way he lashes out at people who are trying to help him. Yeah. (laughs) That's what I don't like. (laughs) Be nice to these people. They're trying to help you. That part of it really annoys me more than the drugs and alcohol stuff whenever in movies and TV people are like, hey, do you need something? Can I help you? And they're like, no. And they're they're too proud to take any help. And I'm just like, just take it. Everyone yeah. needs help. Even setting aside my personal issues <laughs> with these types of movies, I did think that some of his lashing out was a bit over the top, such as him sailing through the regatta yeah, with the, playing the guitar and making all of these boats flip these, over. Yeah, almost crashing his boat and harming people. Yeah, it was kind of ridiculous. And I know he's lashing out and he's a wild card and he's going to do all kinds of crazy stuff to harm him and those around him. But it was too much for me. William H. Macy doesn't seem to have the best instincts when it comes to directing for me. If you look at his career, it looks pretty wild. His movie after this was a sex comedy called The Layover. And then the movie he did after that was called Crystal, where... It's about crystal meth. (laughs) No, you would think... It's about a young boy falling in love with this prostitute at an AA meeting and pretending to have an addiction to get into this meeting. Oh. So William H. Macy seems to take some odd turns in his directorial career. He just likes the wild edge of decision making, I guess. Apparently. This was a solid movie. Mm -hmm. He just made some odd choices. And I think his cameo in the movie was kind of unnecessary, but... I liked his character because his character was just kind of go with the flow easygoing and he seemed like he was empathetic and I like that. I had Lawrence Fishburne taking that spot in my heart. Yeah he did it better and he was more that person but just a random outside person who's just like yeah go you. Yeah he was fine. (laughs) Get out of your own movies. (laughs) Stop it. (laughs) That's gross. One aspect that I wanted to bring up is the performance from Anton Yelchin because I really loved him and I'm sad that he's no longer with us. Mm -hmm. But I think he did a very good job in this movie. Yeah, I agree. He, as he often does in his movies, he touched my heart and he played sad and broken well. He didn't overplay it. It seemed to be enough that you could believe his minor transformation to being more self-assured and a fully confident person. Yeah, Anton's very good at sweet sadness. Yeah. I mean, he can also be scary as hell, like in Thoroughbreds. Oh. He's just one of our great young actors that we didn't get to see develop as much as we should have. There was a cameo by Kate Micucci and I have never seen an electric ukulele so Mm. that was very cool and interesting so I didn't know that was possible. I love Kate (laughs) Yeah, and her role was very funny. Yeah the aspect with the local bands getting big Mm -hmm. it reminded me a lot of people here in Nashville. Oh yeah. 
<laughs> how the band's like a following, like a cult following in Nashville and everyone's like, yeah. <laughs> and then everyone else around is just like, okay. Mostly me. I'm just like, all right. Have you seen the weeks? I'm like, yes, 13 times. Yeah. yeah. And Lightning's like, let me play them like 20 times. <laughs> 20 times within the hour. <laughs> I didn't love, love the songs. They wouldn't be songs that I download and listen to on a regular basis. Mm-mm. But I did think that their cover of Wheels on the Bus was really fun. <laughs> I'm sorry, this is going to be repetitive, but it's about music. Is it about the Beatles? Yes, it's about Paul. <laughs> Jessica, you're no, supposed to get all listen, of your thoughts on listen. the Beatles out on Backbeat. <laughs> but this is relevant. Just kidding, go ahead. So they did the cover of Wheels on the Bus. Guess what? what? Paul McCartney released a single of Mary Had a Little Lamb. Dude was already all over this. And people were like, what are you doing? And he was like, I don't know, I'm just doing it. And he did it. And it was like a single. This has been a special message (laughs) from your foremost Paul McCartney podcast. (laughs) I'll stop. I'm just saying, if people take a shot every time Paul McCartney is mentioned on this podcast. Yeah, you're going to get crunk. But yes, the songs were catchy, I thought. And yes, like you said, it wouldn't be like an album that I would listen to all the time. But for the movie, it was catchy. And yeah. I like the the style worked. But the aforementioned Hearts Be Loud, that was some dope music. Yeah, that was way better music. It had a little bit more poppy feel, though, is probably why. <laughs> you mean not good like one out of a hundred? I'd say more like one out of a million. So what is your rating system? Well, Jessica, I appreciate you asking that. (laughs) Whenever Sam initially had his downfall, one of his go-tos was frozen pizza. (laughs) So that is my rating system. And I would give this two and a half frozen pizzas. Okay. Yeah, microwaving the frozen pizza, which was ugh. (laughs) So I would give this three and a half frozen pizzas out of five. Three and a half? Yeah. Whoa. I liked it a little bit more than another Earth, so it makes sense to me. Okay. I mean, I also liked it a little bit more than another earth for those who want to see if they feel the same as us rudderless is currently available to stream on prime video she's one of them wolf walkers wolf walkers the ones that can talk to wolves with some wild magic we can come out now we can smell you you stick you're a Wolf walker. You're a wolf when you sleep. A girl when you're awake. Robin, something's happened to me. Yeah, I can see that. Flipping great. Wolf Walkers premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival in 2020 and then was released on Apple TV Plus in November of 2020. It is written by Will Collins, Tom Moore, Ross Stewart, and Jerrica Cleland. It was directed by Tom Moore and Ross Stewart. It stars Honor Neefsey, Eva Whitaker, Sean Bean, and Simon McBurney. In a time when magic is still real and wolves are hated and feared by humans, a young English apprentice hunter Robin and her father journey to Ireland to help wipe out the last wolf pack. But everything changes when she befriends a young wild native girl, Mabe. Robin is quickly lost within the discovery of the world of wolf walkers, creatures who were only thought to be folklore, and her new friendship with Mabe. Robin deeply cares for the wolves and soon must choose between her father and being a good citizen and Mabe and the wolves. This movie was just nominated for Best Animated Feature Film and it lost to Soul. We all saw that coming, but I really enjoyed this movie. It was really good. The animation, I didn't know what it was going to be like. It makes me think of like in a sketch pad with colored pencils. Mm-hmm. And so it looks kind of rough, but in a good way. And I like the effects that they used. It worked with the story. It was very woodsy and magical. I was thinking as we were watching that it had Princess Mononoke vibes for me. Oh, yeah. And Princess Mononoke is one of my favorite anime films. It's not the exact same story, of course. It's different cultures, different countries. There are certain elements that are similar. So, of course, I quite enjoyed it. <laughs> yeah, Jessica, I freaking love this movie. Mm. This far surpassed anything thing that we've talked about this week's episode. Yeah. Soul was really great. I enjoyed it. I would have preferred Wolfwalkers to win though because yeah. the way they used their animation, films don't really do that much anymore. Mm-mm. It was very inventive and the animation shifted to suit the story and how people were feeling. Yeah. As I remarked to you after this started, 
it after the credits started rolling. This movie really gave me big 90s era Disney energy. Yeah. Not so much the animation style, but it's closer than today's animation style from Disney. But more so in the narrative and how dark it got. It reminded me of movies like The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Yeah, I also thought about that while we were watching because it reminded me of, his name is Frodo, the guy. Oh yeah. In Hunchback of Notre Dame. <laughs> the, the town leader person. They're very similar kind of. The villain in this movie is Oliver Cromwell, who is actually a real person. I thought so. So in the 1600s, he was an English general who had a conflict with Ireland. Mm -hmm. The conflict involved the Confederate Catholics and the English Royalists because the Commonwealth felt that they were a threat to them. Yep. (laughs) But also, uh, this dude hated them because of religious issues, because he felt that the text of the Bible should be honored more so than the religious leaders Mm. of the Catholics more so lift up in exaltation. Mm -hmm. But (laughs) it was interesting how this film weaved in that real world conflict into this narrative and blended the more fantastical, mystical elements of Mm -hmm. this wolf lore with real life conflict between the Irish and the English and the subjugation. These are larger conflicts that (laughs) Disney movies don't really (laughs) conquer anymore and I really found that very interesting because this is a movie that, sure, kids can enjoy, maybe not super young kids because... I think that they can still enjoy it because they'll mostly pay attention to the animation. Not that they wouldn't enjoy I think they might be a little frightened, like little, little kids. Maybe. You know, younger than seven, maybe. Might. Yeah. I mean, like we were talking about Snow White, the witch used to scare me to death. I think a little fear in a child's life is <laughs> fine, but I'm not a parent, so who am I to say? But there is some violence in this movie and blood, but it's artfully done and it's important to the story. I really just appreciate how grown up this movie was given the subject matter. It could have been more so corny yeah corny and cutesy (laughs) but they really treated this story with respect and just because it's an animated movie doesn't mean you have to talk down to your audience i really enjoy that aspect of it yeah that's what anime does right they don't talk down to anyone and they just give it to you straightforward with all the magical and fantastical elements which is why i like anime (laughs) miyazaki mostly he has a good balance but like you were saying the older disney even older than the 90s disney they weren't afraid of just having really dark stories because a lot of it is from dark fairy tales, Grimm's fairy tales and Hans Christian Andersen. Oh, yeah. A lot of it had dark stuff in it and they would just change a few things, but they kept things that were questionable. <laughs> I think children are lacking a little bit of that edge that we used to get because mm-hmm. we could grow with the movies and appreciate more about them as we got older. Mm-hmm. But I think that a lot of stories are catered to kids and not families. So kids, I think, age out of stuff faster and don't really find new levels as much as I grow up. Yeah, Pixar seems to do a decent job at putting elements in that are for adults Mm -hmm. and kids don't get it, but they also cater more towards families in general. So it's just like the parents and the kids. It's not as dark. They're not going to go very dark, but they put in jokes that are references to things like from the 80s or 90s or just jokes that might have innuendo, but kids aren't going to notice. I'm more so thinking of things like the despicable me type films. They have adult jokes, but I don't think it's something you will grow with and reflect on differently as you... What become. about what about Shrek? That has a lot of adult stuff. There are layers, but I'm... Ha <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Layers, onions. onions. <laughs> I think there's more emotional depth to certain stories. That's more so what I'm talking about more than just adult humor that they may understand. Mm. More so themes. I think that you can understand more themes of loss and religious persecution. Yeah, Hunchback of Notre Dame. Yeah. It was very dark. Yeah, that's more so the type of stuff I'm talking about. Yeah, I wish that we could have more 2D animation like this and it didn't just have to be anime, which Mm. I love anime forever, but I would love to have more classic Disney like we had, but they'll never do that again because they are fully on board with this Pixar stuff. I appreciate a good, clean CGI movie as much as the next person. Yeah. There's something special about seeing the lines that are drawn, and especially in this movie, you can 
can see the pencil drawings. Yeah, and that's the, what I mean about the sketchbook. It's so beautiful, especially whenever Mabe, whenever she's running with her wolf pack and how the animation kind of blends into a giant mass mm-hmm. to kind of symbolize them as one entity moving through the forest. It's also important for the character because they're a pack and they're one entity. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you were watching just a standard 3D animation movie, it would just be perfectly replicated wolves running with one another. Yeah, you'd be able to see their, their fur perfectly and it'd look so cool in the wind, but that's about it. <laughs> it's just not as emotional, Yeah, I think. One thing that I wanted to talk about more so was the way in which this movie tackles parent-child relationships and how not dark it can be, but how seriously they take it, especially with Robin Robin and her dad. That is also a criticism of the movie because I think Sean Bean's character, her father, was a little bit too much at times with her yeah. because he kind of expressed his irritation over her kind of recklessness one too many times. Yeah, he was very frustrating. He just needed to listen to her and engage with her and stop being so afraid, but he was just trying to help her. But they needed to have better communication and live less in fear. Yeah, every time she tried to say something, he would just shut it down because he's so afraid and I wanted to punch him sometimes. One of the best lines in the film, I think, was whenever he was expressing how fearful he was that she would end up in a cage and Mm -hmm. she said that she was already in a cage. Yeah, that was really good. Yeah, and I was reading up a little bit on certain people's thoughts on this movie and there's the obvious cage of she's already being subjugated to the overprotection of her father and living in this, the confines. One viewpoint that I hadn't considered before, but then when I heard it, I was like, oh, that's an interesting take, is LBGTQ issues of possible... those thoughts. So rewatches of this movie will be interesting as I kind of more so pay attention and kind of consider that aspect of the story. It's a very interesting layer to this. I had those kind of vibes whenever they were first kind of hanging out Mm -hmm. and you could see the spark between them and I was like, oh, maybe this is a different kind of love. So I thought about that, but they didn't push anything to that with the story or whatever. So I think it's it's just up to interpretation. Yeah, if you want to read into that and... It works. Yeah, and I think it's nice. I like that this movie can mean different things to different people. Mm, the Oliver Cromwell guy is mm-hmm. so oppressive and he's telling everyone what to do and they can't do anything, mm-hmm. basically. And so if she's caught out of not being at this place where she has to clean and work all day and it's for girls the only. Scullery. Yeah, she can be punished and so being under this guy's thumb and it's mostly women. Mm-hmm. So there's also that cage because her father doesn't think that she can take care of herself in the woods or handle herself. And then also he doesn't want her to be punished or harmed. So he's telling her that she needs to keep going to the scullery. He even says that it's good for her. So I think there's that element to the cage, her gender roles. I think this movie handles feminist issues and women's position in society very well and doesn't just put those things on the back burner as much. Mm-hmm. It's addressed. Yeah, I liked that part of the movie, them tackling those issues. I liked her character. She's a very strong female character, which is pretty great for little kids to see mm-hmm. if they watch this. Both young girls are strong characters and her mom too. So it was a lot of good, strong female representation, which I really enjoyed. One aspect of the movie that I wanted to ask you about, since I know you're such a fan, what did you think of the representation of Ireland and <laughs> this being such an Irish story? I mean, I loved it, but I'm also not Irish, like a, a citizen, so I could You're a fan. Yeah, <laughs> I couldn't say that, oh, wow, this is a perfect representation, but I really enjoyed it, and I really love their folklore and their culture and their music, so I loved learning more about it, like the Wolf Walker stuff I didn't really know about, so that was cool. You said the music, and the music in this film was wonderful. Yeah, I was going to mention that. There's one particular song that's pretty amazing. Is it the Running with the Wolves mm-hmm. song? Portia, 
unfortunately not an original song, so it couldn't be mm-hmm. nominated for anything. But that was such a beautiful scene. Whenever you mentioned the Irish music, the score for this movie, it did a great job of honoring that aspect of the culture, but also kind of blazing its new, mm-hmm. blazing a new trail and yeah. doing its own thing. Yeah, I really like whenever I've heard them, the Irish folk songs, like the really sad ones, the ballads. I really enjoy them because they tell stories. It's how their stories are passed down. Yeah. I think it does a good job with inserting those elements into this one. I like that it was a very visual movie and that they didn't over-explain things and try to hold your hand. They mm-hmm. used the visuals to tell the story and they would explain things when they needed to, but they trusted the audience to pick up on a lot of what was happening and just let the beautiful animation speak for itself. Yeah, I think that's a lot of what classic Disney did as well, and then anime as well. That's why it's so good. It uses all of those techniques. Yeah. I remember while we were watching, whenever it first started, it's a little bit slower, and then just kind of Mm -hmm. getting into it. It took me, like, a few minutes to really get into it, but once I was in it, I was in it, and I was like, oh yeah, this is really good. I I really like this. The finale is excellent. There's one part where it made me really frantic and nervous with her dad not believing her and helping her where Mm -hmm. she's trying to tell him something and I'm just like listen to her (laughs) help her and it was freaking me out basically I'm glad that the cartoon saloon who puts out these movies is around to keep up the tradition of 2D animation yeah I hope it continues Mm -hmm. I would love more movies like this how do you like them (laughs) have you come up with a rating system for this yes I have Uh, my rating system is town tasties Ooh, nice My rating system, just because I love the cute little faces, is dopey wolf faces. Okay. And I would give this four and a half dopey wolf faces. You took mine. I am also going to give this four and a half town tasties out of five. If you would like to see if you are as enthusiastic as the two of us, as previously mentioned, Wolfwalkers is streaming exclusively on Apple TV+. Plus. for joining us for this episode of Home Dance Film Festival. Join us again next week when we will be discussing two Academy Award winning films, The Father starring Anthony Hopkins and 2007's Once starring Glenn Hansard and Marquetta Erglova, also known as The Swell Season, plus a wild card that you will have to wait to hear about. For those who want to prepare at home, The Father is available digitally and in select theaters and Once is available to stream on HBO Max. If you have any thoughts or opinions about the movie we discussed today or movie suggestions, you can write us at homedancepod at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter and tweet at us at homedancepod. If you feel so inclined, feel free to leave a rating or review. It helps us out. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Dylan Gonzalez too. You can also find me publishing reviews almost daily on geekvibesnation.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Jessica Narrates. You can also find me contributing to geekvibesnations.com. We are proud to be a part of the Geek Vibes Nation podcasting network. Original music for the show is provided by Andrew Carroll, who can be found at musicbyandrewcarroll.com. Original artwork for the show is produced by Ben Belcher, who can be found on Instagram at the Art of Ben Belcher. I've been Dylan. I've been Jessica. And we're running with the wolves tonight.